0: Well, good morning. Uh, this is week three of the series that we're in that we're calling Big Faith, and uh, I mention this every week, but I want to make sure that we all are on the same page. Our goal is for this series is pretty simple. Um, our goal is that wherever you may find yourself in regards to faith, where, in regard to faith, wherever you may be on the spectrum of faith, from you know just on the beginning phase and kind of exploring it to having a, a monstrous faith, wherever you are, our goal is that by the end of the series, that your faith will be bigger than it is now. We want to continue to enlarge our faith. And uh, in fact, I believe in 2021, this is to be the year of big faith, that God is a big God who loves to do big things, and the only way we can get in on what God is doing is to practice uh, big faith, big audacious faith. And so that's what we're striving to do. And uh, we know that faith, it's kind of like a muscle, that in order for our faith to grow, we have to exercise it. We have to stretch it, and so God is going to stretch some of us over the coming year. And you know, when when we exercise and stretch, it's not always comfortable. Oftentimes, in fact, it's the opposite. It's very uncomfortable. But the end result is going to be awesome. And so I'm excited to see what God is going to do in our lives. And uh, we talk. We've talked about how that the way that uh, for the purposes of this series, at least, that we're talking about about God stretching us and exercising us is through four habits that we want to develop in our lives we've talked about a couple of them already in week one we talked about habit number one and uh, does anybody remember what that was? Dream big. I heard it. Yeah, that's awesome. Dream big. We want to be able to dream God-sized, world-changing, kingdom-building dreams. That if God's a big God, then he's going to put big dreams in our hearts. And so we want to dream big dreams that God places in our heart. Habit number two we talked about last week is we want to not only dream big, but we also want to do what? We want to risk big. Yeah, we want to take big risks. And again, when we talk about risk, what we're not talking about is living carelessly or recklessly. What we're talking about is that when God places a big dream in our hearts that we're willing to step out in faith into the unknown. That knowing that, again, when God puts the dreams in our hearts, they're going to be bigger than anything that we can accomplish on our own. It's going to be beyond our own talents, our own abilities, our own resources. And so we've got to be willing to take a risk and step out, take God at his word, believe that he's going to be able to do what we can't do on our own. And so we've got to dream big. We've got to risk big. And then this is week number three. I'm going to talk to you this morning about the third habit in our life. And this one is really important. Habit number three is, is really important because um, you know, the tendency is, or our temptation is, is whenever God places a dream into our hearts. And we decide we're going to take that step. We're going to risk. We're going to risk it. You know, God has God has given us the vision of a preferred future. We see this this mission, this redemptive mission that He's called us to, and so we buy into it. And we're like, okay, I'm going to go for it. The tendency is in, is when we step out and we see what could be accomplished by the dream that God's put in our heart is just to go for it, man. Just run and begin to make decisions, begin to make moves, begin to do things. And, and oftentimes what happens is, is we begin to head in the direction that we think God is leading us in, and it doesn't work out the way that we thought that it would. We, we fall flat on our face, and it fails. And rather than our faith being enlarged, instead our faith gets smaller, and we begin to question, did I really even hear God? I mean, did he really, does God even really speak? And this is why habit number three is so important because it's kind of the glue that holds everything together. Habit number three is this. In order to develop big faith, we we not only need to dream big and risk big, but we've got to learn how to obey big. Obedience is the key. You know we we see this in Abraham's life and in his story. We talked about him a couple of weeks ago. But you know Abraham's been given this dream of becoming the father of a nation. And so 90 years old, doesn't have any children. And God says, Abram, I want you to leave the safety of your home. I want you to take a risk. I want you to go to the land that I'll show you. Abram's like, you know, where is that land? And God says, it's the land that I'll show you. So you just head that direction, and I'll tell you when to turn. And so Abram takes the risk. He steps out. He sees the preferred future. He, he sees the fact that he believes that, that God is going to make him the father of a nation, but it's not happening yet. So what does Abram do? He takes things into his own hands. Him and Sarah are like, you know, well, maybe God needs us to help him out. And so Sarah winds up giving Abram her, her maidservant, Hagar. Abram sleeps with her. A child is produced, and a disaster results of that. It's a mess. Abram falls on his face. This is what happens when we don't practice habit number three. Abram had to get back into the place where he believed God for the dream that was placed within him. He's willing to take risks, but he waited on God for God to tell him what to do and then obeyed what God did. So habit number three is so important. We have to learn how to obey. Now I, I'm using the language, you know, obey big, and I know we don't typically use that kind of language when we talk about obedience, obeying big. Uh, and so you can you can put whatever language you want to put it on. I'm sticking with the big theme, but uh, you can you can say it, you know, that faith, big faith, requires, um, you know, total obedience, or big faith requires unrestrained obedience, or consistent obedience. Whatever language you choose, the bottom line is obedience is the key to everything if you want to have big faith it's important that you uh, not just begin by obeying god but obedience to god must become the natural rhythm of your life now i i also know that Whenever I say that word obedience, for some people, um, there is an immediate, uncontrolled, internal negative reaction that takes place. The truth is, um, we don't like, there's something innate inside of each one of us that we don't really like being told what to do. And we certainly don't like being forced to do anything. The truth is, we live in a culture where obedience is not really a virtue that we value very highly. I I mean, sure, we want our kids to obey, and we want our pets to obey, but as independent adults, our natural inclination is we don't really want anybody controlling us. It's It's just kind of our nature. And on top of that, we, most of us who are here today and who are watching online, most of us have been raised and immersed in a culture that places high value, not on obedience, but rather on independence. In fact, our country was founded on the principles that resist any kind of tyranny. When our forefathers and our foremothers, when, when all eight of them came, some of you, I need you, Dane. I need the da-da-da. So I gotta get one dad joke in a week. So but when our forefathers and mothers came from from Great Britain, they, they escaped that place because of the ty- tyranny there. They didn't want to be controlled economically, religiously. They wanted freedom. And so we it's been bred into us this innate value of independence. We we highly value independence. In fact, we have a whole declaration about it. We've declared it's our right to live independently. We are the home or the land of the free and the home or the land of the brave and the home of the what? Free. I got that somewhere in there. Thank you. We're free, right? We're supposed to live free. And so we don't like it that anybody can tell us what to do. We make our own choices. I think the problem is that the reason why we naturally repel against obedience is because we don't fully understand the true concept of obedience at least as it's related to the freedom that Jesus has offered to us through the new covenant the truth is that when you and I were created by God that he created us as free agents he gave us freedom to choose we were created with a free will and that is innately placed within us. God gave each and every one of us the power to choose. And for those of us who have chosen to surrender our lives to Jesus, one of the things that happens the moment that we enter into we give our lives to Jesus is that we enter into a covenant with God and part of that covenant revolves around this idea of obedience. Jesus in fact said this. He said, "If you love me, you'll do what? Keep my commandments." Yeah. If you love me, you'll do what I say. And in 1 John chapter 2 verse 3 it says this, the one of the ways that we know that we've come to know him is if we do what? Obey his commandments. He goes on to say that the man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. However, if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to be in in him must walk as Jesus walked, must do what Jesus did. Well, what did Jesus do? Well, John six thirty eight tells us, Jesus said this. He said, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. In John 8, 29, Jesus said, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. And then in John 14, 31, Jesus said, so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly what the Father commanded me. You, you see, Jesus had this relationship with the Father that was built on obedience to the Father. He, he modeled that kind of relationship for us as well. The, the way that Jesus lived his entire life was pretty simple. He simply listened to what the Father had to say, and then whatever the Father said, That's what Jesus did. That's the way he lived his life. And Jesus said, that's the same kind of relationship that I want to have with you. It's one of the ways, in fact, obedience is one of the ways that we demonstrate our love for Jesus. And this is important because the problem becomes that if if we don't have a proper biblical view of what obedience really is, then our natural inclination is to resist it. And the result will be that we will live far below the level that Jesus intended for us to live. I mean, come on, if if we really believe that God is good... If we we really believe that God is for us and he's not against us, if we really believe that God has infinite wisdom, if he already knows what our destiny is, but he also knows all of the pitfalls that may arise along the way, you know, that he sees what we cannot see, if we really believe that, then why wouldn't we want to listen for his voice and then do what he tells us to do in order to accomplish what he destined us to do? Us to accomplish and avoid all the pitfalls that'll bring chaos and hurt and pain into our lives why would we not want to live that way again i think the problem is when we don't have a biblical understanding of what true obedience is or, or better yet a a new covenant understanding and so what i want to do this morning is i just want to try and recast that term obedience So that hopefully we can relate to it a little bit differently than maybe we ever have before. And the way that I want to do that is, again, I want to give you a a foundational concept of obedience that is based on the new covenant. Now, for those of you who may be wondering, what in the world is he talking about when he talks about the new covenant? A covenant is simply a promise, a covenant is an agreement that, especially in biblical days that individuals would enter into with each other, it was kind of like a contract. And, and one of the things that the Bible teaches us is that God actually took the initiative to institute a covenant with His people. Actually, there are two covenants. In the Old Testament, there is what is called the old covenant. And in the New Testament, when Jesus comes, he brings with him the offer of a new covenant. And so when I talk about the new covenant, what I'm really talking about is in that moment when a person gives their lives to Jesus, when you surrender your life to Jesus, when you're, when you're born again, whatever term you want to put on it, what happens is is that Jesus not only agrees to forgive you of your sin and restore the relationship that has been broken by sin between you and God, but according to Scripture, what he does is he actually places in the life of an individual a brand new heart. Ezekiel chapter 36 talks about this. This is the promise from God. God says, I will place within you a new heart and a new spirit. Now, when the Bible talks about a heart, you know, obviously it's not talking about a physical heart. But what it's talking about is the heart is considered to be the the center or the source of life. And so when the Bible talks about a new heart, what it's talking about is God is saying, I'm going to place within you a whole new source of life. I'm going to place within you a whole new meaning for life. And, and when God places a new heart in the, in the life of an individual, all of a sudden there is a, a new disposition, there's a new set of inclinations, a whole new orientation for living because there is a new source or center of life that is placed within us. And it's at this point of salvation that this new orientation or new life is placed in the life of the believer, but it's in seed form, not not fully mature. This this new life is, is, is a seed that is planted. And just like any seed, in order to survive, it has to be cared for. It has to be nurtured, it has to be watered, it has to be fed in order to grow and produce fruit. And the the primary means in which this seed of new life grows is through our choosing to live a life of obedience to God. Obedience is, is the nutrients, it's the fertilizer that enables the seed to grow and produce new life. Okay, so with all of that as kind of a backdrop, I I want you to look at these these words from the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2. And uh, many of you probably have read these before and maybe just kind of glossed past them because they're kind of strange words. But Paul says this in Philippians chapter 2 verse 12. He says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence but now much more in my absence, Paul says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. I just want to kind of unpack this a little bit because it's really important. Paul begins this particular portion of scripture by encouraging his friends to, to keep on obeying God. Now, there are a number of reasons. You know, when I think about obey, there are a number of reasons why people obey. You know, people obey, and not not just in in, uh, reference to God, but people obey, first of all, because maybe they don't have a choice. They're forced to. This is the position of a slave, where somebody in power says, you better do this or else. Now, obedience, when it's forced, is not happy obedience. You you know, to have somebody with a whip standing over you saying, you better do this or else, there's not a whole lot of joy in that. But But the truth is, and the sad reality is, that for many people, when they think about obedience to God, this is exactly how they think about obedience, I mean, I, I, I've got to obey God because if I don't, he's going to zap me. If I don't obey him, he's going to punish me. And the truth is, some of us live very obedient lives, but we're not really very happy about it. You know, it, we just do it because if we don't, we're going to get punished. Other people obey not because they have to but because they need to. They they obey because, you know, there's something that they want, and in order to get the thing that they want, you've got to obey in order to get the thing that you want. And, And the truth is, for them, they don't really want to obey either. It's just a necessary evil to get what you want. So, for example... You know, those of us who have jobs, we, we may do what our boss tells us to do, not necessarily wanting to do that thing, but if we want to get that money, we got to do what he tells us to do, right? The, the sad reality is there are a whole lot of people who treat God like this as well. Is that, is that uh, you know, what I really want is I want to go to heaven someday. And so, you know, in order to get there, the way that I get there is I got to keep all these rules and I got to do all this stuff and and I've got to obey so that I can ultimately get what I really want. Now, obviously, there's a better way of obedience than this. Neither of these represent the best motivation for obedience. You, You see, the best kind of obedience is when we obey not because we're forced to, or or simply as a means of getting something else, the best obedience is when we obey because deep down inside, we actually want to do what we're being asked to do. You see, here's the deal. The more you want to do something, the more apt you are to do it, and the more joy you're going to experience when you actually do it. When somebody says, you know, this is what you need to do, this is how you need to live your life, the reality is we're more motivated to obey when what you really want deep down inside falls in line with what you're being asked to do. Now, now follow me on this, because this is how all of this ties together. Paul says, you need to work out your own salvation. What does Paul mean by that? Work out your own salvation. Well, well first of all, let me tell you what he doesn't mean. <laughs> what, what Paul doesn't mean is he's not telling these folks this is how you get saved. Y'all need to get saved, and this is how you get saved. The reality is, they already were saved. I mean, these are people who had already received Jesus, they'd already made the decision to follow Jesus, and they'd already given their lives to Jesus, and so he's certainly not telling them, hey, y'all need to get saved, and he's not telling them that this is how you get saved, that your salvation comes by your own effort, that if you can just work at it hard enough, if you can just do it right, if you can just check all of the boxes, then you will earn salvation Paul is not saying that it's our effort or our work that causes us to be saved in fact he's very clear in Ephesians chapter 2 when he says that there is one way to come into salvation and it is by grace that you are saved he says not by your own doing he says it's a gift from God it's not a result of your own works So what in the world does Paul mean when Paul says, work out your salvation? I believe what he's saying is, is that once the seed is planted in us, it is our responsibility to begin to work out what Christ has already planted in. You you see, you can't work out something that's not already there. And Christ has planted this new disposition, this new life in seed form. And Paul is saying, you got to start working that. you got to start working that out in your life. you got got this new heart that's been given to you, that's been planted in you, you. You need to begin. It's your responsibility to work that out. In other words, actually begin living on the outside in harmony with what's been planted on the inside. Man, this is an issue in the Christian church. There are a whole bunch of people who identify as Christians, but they don't live out on the outside what they profess to have been planted on the inside. You see, when Jesus is in you, it ought to change everything about you, it ought to change your orientation, it ought to change your perspective. As you begin to work that out, there ought to be evidence on the outside of what Jesus is doing on the inside. And so, so Paul says, now that Jesus is in you, allow his presence to begin to be worked out, not just in your heart. You know, it's not like, you know, you know my relationship with Jesus is kind of a private thing. It's just, it's just Jesus and me. No. If Jesus is in you, that ought to begin to be worked out so that when people look at your life, it becomes evident, there's no mistake about it, that Jesus is in you. You've been born again. Everything that's old is passed away, and behold, everything is new. You've been given a new life. There's a reason why this language is used. Is It ought to look different when Jesus is in you and being worked out than it looked before you ever even knew him. Amen. That's good. And it's true. And Paul takes all of that, this whole working it out, allowing this seed that's been planted in you and worked out, Paul ties all of that. The way that it's worked out is through living a life of obedience. You see, the reason why this is so important is because most of us do not look at our obedience as simply working out something that is already there in other words we don't have a new covenant perspective of obedience instead we look at obedience as something we either have to do or we're supposed to do because it's our religious responsibility now, now, don't don't get me wrong on this. It is our responsibility as followers of Jesus to obey. But what we have to understand is obedience is way more than simply a religious responsibility. You know, you know many of us we we treat obedience in that way. You know, it's it's our religious duty, and so we we can't lie, we don't steal. We're supposed to treat other people kindly even though they don't treat us kindly. I mean, we really don't want to, especially when they post that thing on Facebook. You know? I think Paul would say, live out on Facebook when you're typing on the keyboard what Christ has planted in your heart. We, we see this all the time in this culture that we live in, man. And, and, and we're, we're called, we're supposed to treat people kindly. Not just because they treat us kindly or when they treat us kindly, in spite of how they treat us. And so sometimes we view that as, okay, well, I I don't really want to, but I have to. And I, I, you know, because it's my religious duty to do those things. All of that stuff I have to do if I want to get to heaven. And so we obey, really, because we have to. To put it another way, back in covenant language, many of us obey out of law rather than grace. But Here's the deal. True obedience, at least new covenant obedience, is not you know, digging down and mustering the strength and just kind of gritting your teeth so that you can do the right thing because it, yeah, I have to. It's what I, it's what I have to do. The truth is, that's not even obedience. What that is, is compliance. And there's a difference. God wants obedience, not compliance. Listen, new covenant obedience is this, is when we do on the outside what we really desire to do on the inside, but we never had the power to do before. But now we do, because Christ is in us. Boy, I thought I'd get an amen on that. Christ is in us. He's given us the power to do what we really want to do but never had the power to do before. You see, obedience as it's meant to be done is not not mustering all the strength that you can on the inside to do what you really don't want to do on the outside. Instead, it's the confidence of knowing that because the Spirit of God dwells in me, he's planted that seed in me, so now I can joyfully do what I really deep down inside want to do. I can now do what I was really created to do, but before Jesus, I never had the power to do on my own but now I can because the power of Christ has been planted in me. That's why Paul says in verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Again, I want you to notice that God's good purpose is directly tied to our obedience. Paul says, you obeyed while I was with you, but now that I'm gone, my prayer is that you'll continue to obey. Why? Because God is at work within you in order to will. What's that mean? It means that when the Spirit of God is planted in you in seed form, one of the things that begins to happen is because God is at work within you, it ought to begin to impact your will. It ought to begin to impact what you want. God wants to take our will and bring it in line with his will. And and so as God is at work within us and we begin to walk in obedience, one of the things that ought to begin to happen is that that as as we obey God, our desires begin to change and we begin to do what God says. And as a result of that, it says that his good purpose is accomplished and fulfilled through us. I was thinking about this the this past week, and I, I was thinking back again. I shared a, a couple of weeks ago about when God planted the dream in my heart to be a pastor. And I talked about how for 30-some years of my life, uh, that was a dream I ran from because the truth is that I didn't think it was a dream. I thought it was a nightmare. That's the way it works sometimes, you know? God's dreams seem like nightmares to us because the new life hasn't been planted in us yet. And so for me growing up, you know, I, I think people just assumed that a pastor was what I would become. Because, you know, not because I was some sort of, you know, super spiritual kid. But because it was just kind of what my family did. My, my father was a pastor. Uh, my, both of my grandfathers were pastors. I had three uncles who were pastors. I had great-great-grandparents who were pastors. And, and the truth is that that was not my will. A pastor was the last thing in the world I ever wanted to be. But when I finally surrendered my life to Jesus, and he planted this seed of new life in me, and as I began to work that out, what was planted in me, all of the sudden, the, things, the thing that happened was is that God actually began to change my desires. <laughs> I, I developed this awareness that, that my will and his will were in opposition of each other. And I'm not going to lie, there was, there was some wrestling that took place over that for a period of, a, of, of several months. But, but I finally came to the point where I was like, God, I don't really want what I want. Because I've been trying to get what I want, And it still hasn't made me happy. And and I don't really want what I want anymore. I want what you want. Could you help me to want what you want? And I want you to watch what happened. as As I chose to surrender my will to him, what happened was, is he actually began to change my will and my desires. My my wants and my desires started to sink more with God's wants and desires. And I got to this place where I could not stand the thought of not serving him in full-time pastoral ministry. No, No other job satisfied me. You can ask Laura. I was miserable in everything else that I tried. All I wanted to do was ministry. All I wanted to do was help people experience the joy and freedom and satisfaction of having a relationship with Jesus that I had. And I'll tell you, I I get more joy, I get more satisfaction when God uses me in that way than anything else I've ever experienced in my life. Why'd that happen? How'd it happen? Paul says that it is God who is at work within you to will, to change your will, to bring your will in line with his will to set your thoughts higher than they already are. So now that what you want is what he wants. But it's not only your will, Paul says, but also it says God is with is at work within you to act. It's through his power he gives you the ability to do whatever his will is. He, it's God's power at work within you who enables you to act. Listen, whatever it is that you really want down deep inside, whatever your will is, it's always going to impact how you act and how you behave. This is true. It's human nature. If your primary will is simply to build wealth for yourself, that's going to be evident in the way that you live your life. If your primary will is to experience pleasure, That's going to be evident in the way that you live your life. If your primary will is to have power or prestige or make a name for yourself, whatever your primary will is, it's going to come out in the way that you behave. It's going to be evident in the way that you live your life. And so when God is in you and you're allowing him to impact your will, you want what he wants, guess what? That is going to impact your actions. It's going to impact the way that you behave. It is God who is at work within you to will and to act. Why? In order to fulfill his good pleasure or purpose. What is God's purpose? We talked about that in week one. God's purpose is the redemptive dream that God places in the hearts of human beings. It's being a part of his redemptive mission in the world. It's those God-sized dreams that he places in our hearts. But here's the deal. Those dreams are only accomplished when they are brought in line with our desire to obey. Our obedience is how we work out what God has planted deep within us. Not because we have to, but because we really want to. And we can because the power of God is at work within us, enabling us to do what we never imagined that we could do on our own. Enabling us to do what, to accomplish those dreams that are way bigger than anything that we could accomplish on our own. And obedience is the vehicle that it happens. Listen, folks, what I want us to understand this morning is that this is how we were created to live. You you and I were created to live out the will of God that has been deposited within us. We we were created to, to take risks, living out that which is planted in us, just living that out day to day, listening to God's voice, staying in tune with him, not running ahead, and not falling behind. You see, at its core, this is obedience. This is what Jesus modeled for us. I hear what the Father says, and I do that. That is how we were created to live. And and listen, that, my friends, is the definition of living a blessed life. Who doesn't want to experience God's blessing in their lives? This is how you live a blessed life. When we fully live out all that God has created us to be. The truth is you'll never find complete satisfaction and joy until we fully live out who God created us to be. And obedience is the key to living a blessed life. In fact, Scripture tells us that obedience is the only way to experience the blessings of God. You can look down through Scripture and you'll see this over and over and over again. I want to just give you a few this morning, but Proverbs chapter 16, verse 20 says this: God blesses those who obey Him. Proverbs 28:14, always obey the Lord and you'll be what? Happy. Who doesn't want to be happy? 1 John 3:22, God gives us what we ask for. Why? Because we obey his commands. Psalm 34, 9 through 10, those who obey him have all they need. Those who obey the Lord lack nothing good. I could go on and on and on and on. This is a theme in Scripture over and over and over again. According to Scripture, obedience is what positions us to receive the blessings of God in our lives. A couple of weeks ago, um, there was a group of us who were having lunch together together. And um, a couple of ladies were there, Sheila and Makila, some of you may know them, but they were there and, and, and uh, somebody said, I think it was my mom, said, Doug, you got, you've got to hear their stories. They both have these incredible stories of how just recently um, God spoke to them, they obeyed, and as a result, God blessed them in some pretty amazing ways. And so they shared their stories for us there at the, the dinner table and uh, when they got done, we were all like bawling because it was so powerful. And I, and I was like, man, the rest of the church needs to hear this. It encouraged my heart. I know it would encourage the rest of the church. And, and so I said, we need to record this. And so we did. And uh, I, I want you to just watch this.
1: Well, when I started attending Connecting Point, um, I was—I had nothing, absolutely nothing. Um, in fact, I wore the same pair of jeans to church every Sunday for probably three to four months. Um, I, shortly thereafter, got a job, and it was after a sermon about um, the generosity of our God and. When I heard about all of the different things that the church did with um, with the money and all of the different ministries that they helped support, I felt like I needed to be contributing, and so I did. And it wasn't it wasn't the 10 percent, you know, like it suggested, but um, I started, and within a couple weeks of that. Um, received a lot of overtime, and so right there, anything that I had been contributing, you know, I had received back almost twice as much, and from there, um, I just continued on, and um, I think I got a little complacent in my giving a few months back, and so I raised the bar and uh, started giving more, and within two weeks, um, a tax return that I had been waiting on for six months um, showed up Um, my stimulus check that had been delayed because of my tax return not being filed or processed uh, came through Um, just many different opportunities have have come from that Um, lower car insurance just you know it's not just about the financial Um, when i look around and when i think about all of the blessings and you know um, all of my possessions that i thought were gone i found out it had been stored for me for the last three years you know that's a huge blessing Um, Just moved into an apartment, um, financially stable today, and and blessed with everything. I mean, there's nothing more that I want right now or need. And um, I'm realizing that, you know, I have to give away the gifts and the blessings, you know, to keep them. And I'm blessed.
2: I was invited to Connecting Point. Um, It was like my second or third Sunday there and uh, you were ministering on finances and holding on to what you have and you can't receive anything if you hold on to what you have so you have to let it go so the illustration that you gave with dropping the change and seeing how it just fell off but I still have what I had what I started out with but I didn't catch anything that was falling So if I opened up and let go of what I had, then I would receive a whole lot more. And that was a true profound statement because I felt convicted in my spirit that I heard God telling me that you need to give that money that you have, that you've been holding on to, you need to give it. And I just made up my mind right then and there that I was gonna put it in on the way out. And so I did, and then lo and behold, later on that week the blessings just started rolling in and it just it was like my cup was overflowing with everything that i needed i mean i didn't have anything nothing not a pot not a window nothing (laughs) but not even a week later i got blessed with a job and um i got blessed with an apartment i got my car back and You know, through everything, he just let me know that he's still there and that he still loves me. And I'm just so grateful for the love that I was shown from people that didn't even know me. I was feeling like, God don't care about me. God don't love me. You know, I'm just, you know, just another person. But he really did let me know that I'm still here. I still hear you cry. So... isn't
0: that awesome you know what what we weren't able to capture on the video that Makila shared with us that that money that God told her to give was her last two dollars It's all she had left and that next week as she was obedient to God put herself in the position to receive the blessings from God She got a great job. She got an apartment. Uh, Through the generosity of this church, her entire apartment was furnished. And God is at work in her life simply because one small act of yes and obedience. Isn't that awesome? And and I I think you you all know this. What we're talking about here is not some sort of prosperity gospel. We're not talking about an investment plan from the standpoint of, you know, if I I give that money, then I'm doing it because, you know, the real goal is so that I can get more money back and that's the way I'm investing. And, you know, the the promise is this, you can never outgive God and he will continue to pour his blessings out upon you as you walk. And then you have this posture of obedience where you're just, yes, Lord, everything that I have is yours. Everything that I have is yours. Here's the truth, that just as obedience is the key to putting ourselves in the position to receive God's blessing, the opposite of that is just as true. That when we are disobedient, what happens is, is we move ourselves into a position where we can't receive the blessings of God because of our disobedience. I was thinking about that this past week and my mind went back to I think it was was early 2000s, 2001, 2002, something like that. God had planted this dream in my heart of being a pastor and I said yes to him and began to work that out and God began to change my heart and my will and Laura and I were just committed. We're gonna walk in what you want us to walk in and I'll never forget God very clearly spoke to me. And I, I've always known that the ministry he called me to was supposed to look different than like traditional church ministry, you know? Because uh, I'm just a different guy. And so that's just the way that it is. So God, God planted my heart. He spoke very clearly to me and said, I want you to plant a church in the mall in a theater. I want you to, you know, somewhere along the line, church shifted from, you know, Jesus said, go. Jesus' mission was seeking to save those who are lost. And somewhere the mission of the church shifted from, rather than going where the people are, is we just hope they can find us. So I felt like we were supposed to go. There's a group of people that God was at work in their heart and they surrounded Laura and I and we were living in Spring Hill at the time and there was a mall there in Olathe called the Great Mall of the Great Plains. it was the happening mall at the time. There's a theater in that mall and I remember the group of us we began to walk that mall and we began to pray and we really felt like God was calling us to plan a theater in this or plan a church in the theater in this mall. I got scared. It's too big of a risk. Didn't know if, you know, it would work or not. At that point in time, you know, churches are in theaters like all over the place now. At that point in time, I'd never even heard of that happening. (laughs) I got scared. And I bailed. And I missed out on the blessing. Many of you know Michael Downs. Jen grew up in this church. See, this is the way God works. God will is going to be accomplished regardless of whether we jump in on it or not the question is is will will we be in on the blessing or not god took i bailed i was disobedient and God took that dream and placed it in Michael's heart. Michael was obedient, and as a result, he got to be a part of a great blessing that took place. And planning that church in the theater and seeing people come to know Jesus, and that church, it's, it's not in the theater anymore, but it is alive and well, and it's a blessing. And I missed it. God's grace is so good. Because even though I missed it, he didn't give up on me, still was gentle with me, still worked in my heart, and now here we are, and who knows where we're going.
1: <laughs>
0: See, God is a redemptive God. I tell you that story for this reason, is: I don't want to miss out on any more of God's blessings. I just want to say yes, and I want to see what God does, and I think that God brought us here because there's a whole bunch of people that want the same thing, and so our challenge again is pretty simple. God is calling us to dream big dreams, way way bigger than we've ever dreamed before. And he's calling us to take great risk, big risk, bigger than we've ever taken before. And he's calling us to unwavering, continual, immediate, big obedience so that he can do what only he can do and we get to be a part of it. That's what I want. Don't you? Father, this morning we thank you because you are a redemptive God. You've you've given us this invitation to to come to you and to surrender freely. You're not going to coerce us. You're not going to force us. You're not going to make us. You just extend the invitation to surrender freely our lives to you. And then you, God, because of your covenant with us, you take the seed of Christ, the seed of your spirit, and you plant it within us. And then you begin your work. And again, God, because you're so gracious, because you're so kind, you don't force us to do the work, for, for you to do the work, or to allow you to do the work. But we have to freely choose to begin to allow you to work out what has been planted in us. And as we do, as we simply say yes to you, we get to be a part of your great blessing. We get to experience the joy of being a part of your redemptive mission in this lost and broken world. We're called to a higher purpose. We're called to higher things. And so Lord, my prayer is for myself first. And then for all of us that are here and watching our online, would you give us the strength to just continually say yes? Would you help us to hear your voice and always say yes to you, even when we don't understand, even when we can't see what step two is, would you help us just to say yes to step one, believing that as we do, you will open the doors that need to be opened for us? Father, I believe that there are some who maybe who are here this morning or who are watching online and that first yes needs to be a yes of inviting you in and accepting your invitation to come into their lives as the forgiver of their sins. This morning I pray for each one. A simple yes is good enough. Just say yes. Yes, Jesus, I accept you. Yes, Jesus, I receive you. Yes, Jesus, I want you to be the forgiver of my sins. And yes, Jesus, I want you to be the leader of my life. I'm tired of doing it on my own. I need you. And so I just say yes. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for your love for us. You are the initiator of all of this. We praise you for it. You're a good God. We love you today. And all of God's people said together, amen and amen. Let it be so. Amen.